Well, welcome, everybody. Uh, before I dive in, I just wanted to give a reminder to all of you at our campuses and if you're watching online that there is a God who loves you. Sometimes we forget about that. We start to just get busy with our life, and we forget that there is a God who knows you and sees you and, and loves you. And we can start to feel at times like God is distant. We don't feel his love. We don't feel close to him. But the Bible says if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, that there is nothing, nothing that can separate you from his love. Today we are continuing on in a series called That's So Mega Church. And the idea for this series came from a Barna Research study. Barna Research looks at churches and church trends. And this past May, they released a study where they found that 84% of Americans have a negative view of a megachurch. Megachurch is defined as a church of over 2,000 people, and there's about 1,500 of those churches that exist in the United States, including ours. And so as I'm reading this study, I'm going, okay, well, this is a problem. If 84% of the people in the world have a negative view of church or large church, that becomes quite the barrier to inviting someone to come with you. And as you read through these articles and as you read through the comments, you can see there's many different reasons why people believe this. One of them is Netflix released a documentary this past year called Mega Church Exposed. And it looked at particularly one large church and portrayed it in a negative light. You've probably also seen headlines of pastors who have had to resign because of abuse of power or marital infidelity. And so if you're just the average American who goes to work, goes to school, comes home and flips on Netflix, this is your only exposure to church. This is your only exposure to Christianity. But today I want to try to make the case that the size of the church does not determine the faithfulness of the church. See, every single church is flawed, ours included. And the reason is because church is filled with people and people sin. But the church is God's plan A, it's God's idea and God's design. In fact, here's what I know to be true. I know that there are some large churches that are faithful to the Bible and they teach Jesus Christ. There are some small churches that are faithful to the Bible and teach Jesus Christ. There are some large churches that have been plagued by scandal and corruption. There's some small churches that have been plagued by scandal and corruption. The size of the church does not determine the faithfulness of the church. In fact, I believe that there's some great small churches, great medium-sized churches, great large churches, that God in his wisdom understands that we're not all the same. And some of us are going to connect to a certain style of church, and we're going to connect to a certain size of church. And that's all part of God's wisdom and God's design. But it's not the size of the church or the style of the church that determines if God is pleased with the church. The real issue there is, does that church teach the message of Jesus Christ faithfully? Today's message is titled, The Church Just Wants to Get Big. Maybe you've heard this. Maybe you've thought this. Maybe you walk into certain churches and you go, oh, this is just like a mile wide and an inch deep. They just want to get big. They don't care about people. They don't care about your spiritual growth and your spiritual development. They just want to get big. And the insinuation behind this is it's money-driven. Bigger church equals more money, either that or it's driven by ego. Last year, I was sitting at one of my son's basketball games, and they were just getting killed. It was halftime, 
and I wanted to take my mind off of it, and so I thought, I'm going to go on Facebook. And I had a Facebook page at this time, but I didn't pay attention to notifications, and I never read my messages. They would just pile up. And so I thought, okay, this is a perfect time. I've got some time. I'll just go through messages, respond back. And so I'm scrolling down. I'm responding to a few. And all of a sudden, I came to one that just stopped me dead in my tracks. It's from a person who attended our church, but I didn't know them personally. And the message said that their child had been in an accident, a severe accident, and they were racing to the hospital and asked me if I would pray. The second message, which was shortly thereafter, maybe like a day later, gave an update on what had happened to their child. And then they said this, they said, you just care about numbers. You say you love people, you say you care about people, but you're a hoax. You just care about numbers. And so I'm reading this and I'm like, oh my goodness. And so I quickly respond back. I'm like, I'm so sorry. As the first time seeing these messages, what can I do? What can our church do? But I realized in the correspondence that took place afterwards that it was too late. That they had joined the 84% who had a negative view of church. Now I share that story with you, not because I'm upset at this person, but because it really upset me. I was up that night just bothered and worried about this whole situation. And so I started to reflect a little bit, and I had three reflections. The first one was, I got off Facebook. I didn't realize people were going to reach out to me with emergencies on Facebook, and I realized if I were to check messages like every hour or two, I'd probably be divorced. I mean, my kids would probably hate me. I, I would just, my, it would consume too much of my life. And so I didn't want this to happen to someone else. I said, I'm just going to get off Facebook. My second reflection was this illustrates some of the negative of being a part of a larger church. See, in a smaller church, you, you might have the pastor's phone number. And you could just text them and say, hey, I'm on the way to the hospital. I need you to pray. This is one of the reasons why we urge people in our church to be a part of a small group. To have some people in your life, small group leaders who love you and know you and care for you so that they can walk with you through certain situations like this. The third reflection that I had was what is it in the human spirit that tends to go there? What is it in the human spirit that when we experience hurt in a church that we immediately go to, oh, you don't care about people, all you care about is numbers? As I mentioned earlier, the megachurch is defined as a church of 2,000 people or more. With that in mind, I want to take you to Acts chapter 2. And before we go there, let me just set the context real quick. So Jesus is ascended back to heaven. Jesus died on the cross. He resurrected to life. He appeared to the disciples. But now he is ascended to heaven. And the early church is beginning to form. Today we have billions of people around the world who claim to be followers of Christ. But at this, at this time... Around the year 33 AD or so, there's 120 people in the church. It's one of the questions that sociologists have asked over the years. How do we go from 120 to a couple billion? It's a fascinating question. Here's how it began in the book of Acts. Peter, one of Jesus' disciples and followers, stood up to give a message. And it says that when he was done, the audience, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Okay, we hear you. We, we hear this message about Jesus. We want to be saved. What do we need to do? It says Peter replied, repent. That just means take a U-turn. 
Confess your sin, acknowledge your sin, turn away from it, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Jump down to verse 41 with me for just a moment. It says this, about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Uh-oh. That's a mega church. In one day. And they weren't just sitting around like, oh, this would be a great idea. We'll make a ton of money off this. We'll get a lot of fame and followers. No, Peter just got up and gave a message, told people about Jesus. And in one day, 3,000 of them responded in faith. Verse 47 said that not only that, but the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So 3,000 came to faith in one day, and then beyond that, God began to add to their number every single day. Some scholars believe that in the church of Jerusalem, there was at one point about 50,000 people who were attending that church, so much so that they had to break off into various locations around the city, which sounds like multi-site. Here's the unapologetic truth. Our church would love to get bigger. And it's not just our church that we want to get bigger. We want all churches throughout the world that faithfully preach the message of Jesus Christ to get bigger. But not for the reasons that make headlines. It's not money driven. I don't work on commission. None of our pastors do. As the great theologian Puff Daddy once said, mo money, mo problems. Truer words have never been spoken. I mean, let me tell you, when you start getting a big organization and there's all kinds of people and things moving parts and there's money, more money, more problems, more stress, more work. I also don't think it's ego driven. Now, ego is difficult to see in ourselves, so we have to be careful of this, but I don't sense this among our board or our leadership. So what is driving this desire to want to reach more people, to want to get bigger? Here's two reasons why. The first one is this. God commands it. In Matthew 28, Jesus gives every follower of Christ their marching orders. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. He says, go Make disciples. A disciple is someone who's a follower of Christ. Do you want to know what happens when a person who wasn't a disciple becomes a disciple? They get added to the church and the church gets bigger. Jesus said that his mission in life, the reason why he left heaven and came to earth, he says, I came to seek and to save the lost. Do you know what happens when a lost person gets saved? They get added to the church, and the church gets bigger. One of Jesus' most famous stories was of a prodigal son who blew his inheritance, ran away from home, came back to his father. And his father represented God in this story, and the father rejoices that his lost son has been found. And the punchline of the story is Jesus says, if there was 100 people on the planet, and 99 of them were found. If 99 of them had a relationship with Jesus Christ, Jesus said, I'd go looking for the one. I'd leave the 99, 
And I would go search for that one lost person. Several years ago, one of our executive assistants uh, made something that she called s'mores pies for a meeting that I was in. It was chocolate. It was marshmallow. They were delicious. And I had no shame. When the meeting was over, there was two of them sitting there. And I said, can I take those home? And so I did. I put them in a little bowl. I drove home. But when I got to my house that night, I was getting out of my car and my hands were full. And so I put the s'mores pies in the bowl on the roof of my car. And I forgot them there. Overnight in my garage. The next morning, I was driving to work in my neighborhood. And all of a sudden, I heard a boom. And I looked in my rearview mirror. And the bowl that had my s'mores pies was rolling down the street. And so I slammed on the brake. And I went running back to look for my two little s'more pie friends. (laughs) But they were lost. And I drove into work going, why, God? Why have you done this to me? But when I got to work, I was taking a break from working on a message. And so I kind of leaned back and out the window, I could see my car in the parking lot. And there on the roof of my car was my two little s'more pie friends. And so I went running down outside, looked around to make sure nobody else was looking, grabbed the s'mores pies, put them in my car so I could eat them later. And here's why I tell you that story. When you love something or someone, you don't let anything else get in the way. You don't worry about the fact that they were sitting on the roof of your car all night in the garage collecting dust. No, no, no. You don't worry about that. You don't worry about the fact that you drove past a construction zone that morning where they were laying tar And fumes were being sprayed all over the place, getting on top of your s'mores pie. You do not worry about that. Because when you love something or someone, you don't let anything get in the way. Jesus said, if there was 99 people who were found, and there was one person who was lost, Jesus said, I would go searching for the one. I would go look for that one lost person and I wouldn't let anything get in the way of seeking and saving that one lost person. This is why I think the Bible never limits the size of a church. I mean, show me a verse in the New Testament where it says, hey, when your church gets to be about 2,000, tell them to go home. You don't want to be a mega church, so when they come, just say, I can't go someplace, go home, go watch TV, go do what you want. That is completely not the heart of God. In 1948, when a woman named Ethel Hain started gathering a group of people in her living room for a small group for a church, she had no idea that 75 years later, that group would be Eagle Brook Church meeting at 10 campuses across the state of Minnesota. She just knew that there was lost people in her community who needed to be found, who needed a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the Bible had said, go and make disciples. When Bob Merritt came to be the senior pastor of First Baptist Church of White Bear Lake, a church of about 200 people at the time, he had no idea that years later it was going to be a church of over 20,000 in person, over 20,000 in line, online, had no idea. He simply knew that there was lost people who needed to be found, and Jesus said, go and make disciples. 
When I became a Christian in college, I ended up transferring to Bethel University in St. Paul, and they do this thing at Bethel that's pretty cool. It's called Welcome Week. And so when you pull your car up, these Welcome Week students come rushing out, and they unload your car for you. Take your couch, your fridge, whatever you've got for your dorm room, bring it up to your dorm. My dad was sold. My dad was sitting at the wheel, air conditioning. He's like, love it. This is awesome. Then they have some activities for freshmen and transfers to sort of get acclimated. And one of them was called Koinonia. It was a worship service. And so as a transfer, I'm just looking at my schedule and I see this Koinonia thing. I'm like, okay, I guess I got to go to this. And by the second song in, I was in tears. I, I couldn't even sing. It's because I was feeling this nudge from God to go into ministry. I had come to the school as an economics major. I was going to go into business and economics, try to make money. And then I started picturing this 18-year-old Jason Strand, who didn't have a personal relationship with Christ and didn't really have anyone in his life who was inviting him to church. And I thought, I want to be a part of a place that would reach a person like that, a person who's far from God, who doesn't know God. I want to be a part of a church that could reach that person and change their life. And so the next day, I went down to the career center. I changed my major to communications. I went and looked for a part-time youth ministry job. And I had people who said to me, like, hey, slow down. You don't make a lot of money in ministry. I made $18,000 in my first job, but I didn't care because I just knew, I knew that this is where God had nudged me towards. Now, you, you might not be a pastor, but here's what I know is true about you. Jesus has a mission for your life. He has a purpose for your life. He says, go and make disciples. I do that in a church. You do that in a boardroom a break room, a classroom. You do that over Zoom meetings. You do that in a dance studio. But Jesus Christ says to every single person who follows him, go and make disciples. Here's the second reason why our church wants to reach more people, and it's this. Every person matters to God. Look at what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 2. He says, God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That means if there's one person on the planet who doesn't know Jesus Christ, then our church has work to do. This is one of the reasons why I reject the phrase that Eagle Brook Church is a mega church. I don't like that label at all. I think we have a mega vision, but I don't believe we're a mega church, and here's why. There's 2.9 million people in the Twin Cities. How many people come to Eagle Brook Church? On an average weekend this spring, before the summer hit, maybe like 22, 23 in person, 25 or so online. Now those online numbers, you can pretty safely double those because a lot of people are watching with their family or a spouse. But if you add all those numbers up, you're talking maybe around 75,000 people that have some connection to Eagle Brook on a weekend. What percentage of 2.9 million is 75,000? It's 2.5%. It's less than 3% of just the Twin Cities. Not even talking about the Midwest, America, the world. Just the Twin Cities, under 3%. Now you say, well, hold on a second. If you add other churches, that number is going to go way up. Yes. 
But the most optimistic number I could find was from 2014, where people said 70% of the Twin Cities are followers of Christ. That's self-reporting. How many of those people are actually following Jesus? Mm, probably less. That's from 2014. In 2023, how many are still following Jesus? Mm, probably less. That means at least 30%, probably more, of the Twin Cities needs a relationship with Jesus Christ. To needs to find the hope and the grace and the forgiveness that only Christ offers. This is why we do campuses. This is why we have an Eagle Brook Association. I don't know if you knew this, but we have an Eagle Brook Association that provides free training and resources to other churches and pastors. Every time you give to Eagle Brook Church, you're not just giving to our church, you're giving to other churches because it's not about Eagle Brook. It's about the church with a capital C. A couple weeks ago, uh, we had our staff meeting down at our Minneapolis campus. And this other church and their staff that was from Minneapolis came because they wanted to see our building and kind of tour around. And so I went up to the pastor of this other church just to introduce myself. And I said, hey, thank you for coming. You know, we want to have unity with other like-minded churches in, the, in Minneapolis. And this pastor looked at me and she said something that I don't think I will ever forget. She said, just so you know, we are praying that you guys are so full in Minneapolis on Sunday mornings that you will be forced to open a Saturday night service so that our staff can attend. It's one of the most humble things I've ever heard a pastor say. And they weren't saying like, oh, well, you're, you know, that's the competition. We don't really, that they weren't saying, we hope you guys do great. Not really. They weren't saying that at all. She was saying, we are praying that you'll be so full on Sunday mornings that you'll open a Saturday night service so that our staff can attend and be filled up before we have church of our own on Sunday morning. I hope I always have that kind of spirit. It's not about Eagle Brook Church. It's about the church with a capital C. But here's what I believe to be true. No church that loves people is going to say, you know what? We, we don't really care if we're reaching new people or not. No church that is biblical is going to say, you know, let's just be a holy little huddle. And let's just love each other. And let's not think about the fact that every day thousands of people die and head to an eternity without Jesus. Let's just not worry about that. No church should ever say, well, let's just have some potlucks. I mean, who doesn't love a good church potluck? We'll just have some potlucks and some prayer meetings. That's not a church. That's a social club. God desires every single person to be saved. In 1990, the windshield of a British Airways flight came off at an altitude of 17,000 feet. This plane was in the air, 17,000 feet. The windshield came off, which created a decompression in the cockpit, which catapulted the pilot, who wasn't strapped in all the way at that time, out the window of the plane. Fortunately for him, a flight attendant was walking into the cockpit right as this happened. And so the flight attendant reached out and grabbed onto the legs of the pilot, 
while the co-pilot frantically tried to maneuver an emergency landing. Here's a picture of a reenactment that they did of this situation from 1990. That's the pilot on the bottom right outside the window of the plane. As they're at 17,000 feet trying to land, that's him outside the plane. And the top one is this flight attendant who's grabbing onto his ankles. They did this for about 20 minutes. Finally, the co-pilot was able to land the plane and they thought there's no way the pilot is alive. Turns out, miraculously, he was. He was frostbit, he had several broken bones, but he was alive. And I'm reading about this crazy story and I'm thinking to myself, I wonder if there's a spiritual analogy there. You see, life has a way of kind of blowing us out to the wind. Life is hard, isn't it? Life can hurt. And we have a spiritual enemy, Satan, who would like nothing more than to blow us further and further away from God. There are people in your life and there are people in my life who need someone who cares about them enough, who loves them enough to just go, I'm grabbing on. We all know people who are starting to drift and are starting to be blown away from God. And they're getting caught up in the things of this world. And they're getting caught up in sin. And they're being blown away from the love and grace of God. And they need someone to get out of first class. Put down the peanuts and the ginger ale. Walk up to the cockpit and just grab on. And to say, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to invite you to come to church. I want to be a part of your life. I'm going to try to do everything I can. I'm going to give you books to read. I'm going to be praying for you. I'm going to hold on to you and do everything I can to pull you back towards God. Who is someone like that in your life? Who needs someone just to grab on? I've heard people say before, how come you guys are adding another campus? You know, don't we have enough? And I'll always remind them, I'm glad that the people who came before you didn't feel that way. I'm glad the people of White Bear Lake weren't like, you know, we've got a really great church here. We'll just, we're good. We don't need to open Lionel Lakes. That's a big risk. I'm grateful for the people of Lionel Lakes who didn't say, man, we got a pretty big building. We can just fill that up four times. We're good to go. I'm grateful for the people in Woodbury and Blaine and Spring Lake Park who said, wow, we, we got a great campus. And then they didn't just say, well, let's just keep that to ourselves. I'm grateful for the people in this church who understand that someone else paid for our seat and someone else needs that opportunity to experience the grace and the forgiveness that we experienced in our life. Coming up in just a couple weeks. September 9th and 10th, we are kicking off a new series called It Would Take a Miracle. Week one, I'm going to be speaking on It Would Take a Miracle to Find Your Purpose. Week two, I'm going to speak on It Would Take a Miracle to Heal This Hurt. So many of us in this church are struggling to know, God, what is your purpose for my life? And so many of, this church, of us in this church have been hurt and we need healing in the deepest part of our soul. And if that's true about the people within the walls of this church, I guarantee you it's true about the people outside the walls. 
There's people in your life and in my life, neighbors, friends, co-workers, classmates, who need to know that there's a God who has a purpose for their life, who have hurt from a relationship or an unexpected death in their family, and they are hurting so badly. And they need the healing that only Jesus offers. And how are they going to hear unless someone in their life invites them? How are they going to come back to God unless someone in their life says, I'm just going to grab on and I am not going to let go. As we kick off this series, September 9th and 10th, as we open the Minneapolis campus on September 10th, I'm asking everyone in this church to fire back up again and go, you know what? It's not about me. It's about that person who needs Jesus Christ. And I'm going to seek and I'm going to search and I'm going to grab on and I'm going to pull them back in and do everything that I can. Let's pray together across all of our campuses. Lord, there might be someone in our life who is far from you, who's drifting without purpose, who's struggling with the hurt in their life. Lord, I pray that you would use us. I pray that you would give us a heart for people, other people. I pray that we would go and make disciples and that we would seek and we would search. God, I love the fact that you are a God who says if there was 100 people on this planet and 99 were found, you'd go looking for the one. And Lord, there's some parents here. There's some family members. There's some friends who are so grateful because there's a person in their life, a son, a daughter, a good friend, a parent, who is that one. And God, we, we rejoice, we thank you. We take comfort in the fact of knowing that you are pursuing them, God, that you are seeking them, you are searching for them, Lord. And I pray that you would bring them into a relationship with yourself. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, next week, the message is the church just wants my money. You're not gonna wanna miss that. We'll see you then. <laughs>